Beloved Church of God, today we will have a memorial service. We will remember and comfort the family of our brother, our brother who has passed, Fyodor Vaznuk. And therefore, beginning our service, I will ask you all to stand and we will proclaim our unchanging promise. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer, dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. We are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so, allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, premature death, all forms of fears, depression, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation. And may we rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to find your holy countenance. I present the service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or joy. The word that I would like to say today in comfort and instruction to us is called The day of death is better than the day of one's birth. This is taken from this place of scripture. Therefore, today we are going to talk about death and its good purpose. Because according to Scripture, death always dwelled in God, in the dignity of holiness. Death separates us from one point to another, just like holiness. It separates the holy from the unholy and pure from impure. We're talking about this blessedness of death. Very few know about this. Christians always look at death with some kind of danger, forgetting that holiness is death. God said to Moses, you cannot see my countenance, you will die. 
So, God's holiness separates from what is earthly from what is heavenly. An earthly person cannot see the countenance of God. It's necessary for him to be clothed in incorruption in order to see the face of God. And therefore, from this place of scripture, it follows that the death of a person who has a good name before God is a celebration and it's better than precious ointment. We're talking about saints, about those who fear God, that this kind of person who has the good name before God, for him, death is is a celebration with tears in the eyes of those who knew him. But for the one who had a good name, death is the triumphant entrance into his imperishable inheritance, which is pleasant to him, and which God will wipe away the tears from his eyes. As it is written, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Psalms 16, 5-6 through First, we as saints who carry a good name should act toward our death and the death of our neighbor like a celebration of the triumphant victory over the second death in the face of the old man with his works. In Scripture, the second death in the body of a person discovers itself in the mark of the beast, the carriers of which are the majority of people in our congregations that did not have a good name that could spread the fragrance of Christ. A good name is better than precious ointment. A person who has a good name is a person who spreads the fragrance of Christ. Our brother was this kind of a person. As a rule, those that did not have a good name and the majority in churches are Babylonians that mix the revelations of truth with the human emissions of their intellect or the intellect of the person whom they have selected to flatter their uncircumcised ear. This is the category of carnal people that instead of submitting their faith to the faith of God in order to meditate upon their spiritual inheritance and look upon their reward, they meditate upon earthly things. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then the third followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they will have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name 
Here is the patience of saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 13. As a rule, uh, this place of scripture is ripped out during funerals and it is read. And people don't explain how can someone who is dead already die because it says, Blessed are those who are dead. How can someone who is dead die once again? And they don't understand that this place of scripture is tied to what I have read, what I had read previously. Because after this sound, when the sound was. Uh, Babylon is fallen and flee from there and this was talking about those people who accept the mark on their foreheads and on their hands after this it says and we will hear the voice from heaven saying right so from this time right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on again I would like to say perhaps someone will hear this somehow the Holy Spirit will carry this word that the mark of the beast on the hand or on the forehead is not a chip not an electronic chip that so many people fear. This is completely something different. It is simply carnal thinking, fleshly thinking. When we try to, with our own mind, to study scripture, this means that we have the mark of the beast. Because a person who studies the Holy Scripture with his own mind, he encroaches to God's territory. No one can study scripture with their own mind. Studying scripture can be possible only with the heart. And the heart is possible only through hearing the preached word. And knowledge of the, re of the revelations of scripture are given to very rare people. Very rare people. To apostles. And then, from their spirit, it, this word is taken by those who are found alongside of him. And only to them this is given. John to the seven churches who were found in, who were found, John to the seven churches, the revelation that the Lord had given him. You see, he did not give these seven churches and these pastors or these apostles. He gave it to John, the apostle. So what is an apostle? Apostle is one who is sent. Jesus said, as my Father sent me, I send you. To whom you forgive their sins, they will be forgiven. On whom you leave the sins, they shall be retained or left. Jesus had sent apostles. He gave them this mandate. Leaving, he left them to be representatives of him. And if the church does not accept the apostle, they select for themselves a person who would flatter their ears. And then they uh, they tend to this person with the brotherly counsel in the church. Do you understand where this kind of church is headed? I understand. God knows how to save people who are found in these churches, the true people who fear God. Therefore, we must fully understand this, that we as saints who have a good name should behave once again toward our death as well as the death of our neighbor as an entrance into our imperishable inheritance into the house of our Heavenly Father.
For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And to die is gain. Because it separates a person with the earthly body. Death separates a person from the earthly body. And he leaves. Can you imagine how much he was tormented while being in this illness? And how when he was freed, he had broadened his shoulders. He had breathed easily a sigh of relief, our brother did. And he saw his inheritance. And the angel of God, who served him continually, had guided him. Blessed are those who die in the Lord, those who are dead to sin, those who died in the death of the Lord Jesus for their nation, so their nationality, the house of their father, and their corrupt life their carnal life these are the blessed that are dead and when these that are dead that are dead to sin but alive to God when they die they are truly blessed they are happy and joyful unfortunately we have very many people who died that are not dead to sin they did not die to sin they must be saved once again at the day of their death and this is not given to to everyone but to some and many continue and then just head to perdition because they had not died to sin third we as saints who carry a good name should recognize that upon the death of our neighbor sorrow or sadness that has hope makes our hearts better and in turn closer to God this is very important Fourth, we as saints who have a good name should know that the house of mourning or sorrow that has hope is the house of prayer in which God dwells. This is the beloved place of saints that have a wise heart and therefore being found in the house of tears having hope makes their house of mourning having hope it makes their hearts softer and wiser because according to scripture the kingdom of heaven will be inherited only by those who have a wise heart which became good thanks to the fact that they cleansed it from dead works by dying to their nation the house of their father and their carnal life for when you were slaves of sin you were free in regard to righteousness so when you were slaves of sin you were free in regard to righteousness meaning you were dead to God who is free from righteousness the one who has died died to God what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord so we already receive it now this gift of God and eternal life in our bodies and this eternal life 
protects holiness in the dignity of the death, death to sin. And it does not allow sin to come close. You see, death is present in us. We always carry in our body the death of the a death of Christ so that the life of Christ can be revealed in our bodies. That's why I said, when I had meditated upon this and the Lord had revealed to me that death was always present in God in the dignity of His holiness, it was always present there. And when the cherubim had sinned and he had enticed one-third of the angels with him, there was another kind of death that was that became evident, one that had challenged this kind of form of death in the form of the holiness of God. That's why you should not uh, mix both of these or confuse both of these. One kind of death is when you are dead to sin and alive to God, and the other kind of death is when you are dead to God and alive to sin. That's why, on one hand, accepting this truth should be done not only with our intellect, but also with the rational capabilities of our good and wise heart. Or rather, through the cooperation of the rational capabilities of our wise heart with the rational capabilities of our soul that has been renewed by the spirit of our mind. On the other hand, accepting this truth should be done not as a verdict of judgment carried out by God for the sin of our forefathers, which cannot be imputed to us because we, with the cross of the Lord Jesus, were separated from the sinful life passed on to us from our fathers, but as the great and good work of God expressed by Him in the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-19, through 19, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. A holy person who is redeemed from sin in the death of the Lord Jesus in order to live for God receives a basis to clothe his body in the pearl of incorruption. And despite the fact that he dies in the Lord and for the Lord, when the time comes for the clothing of our earthly body into the new man, he will rise from the dead in order to inherit this promise along with the living who have accepted the promise regarding the adoption of their body just like he did. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. So you see here, not for the cleansing of sins. They must already be cleansed from sins. Sins must not be present in the body any longer. Decay must not be in the body when he comes. This is what this is referring to, because decay is the result of sin. Death, or decay is the result of sin. Yes, we have decay, we are growing older, but we, with faith, have accepted the promise regarding the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ, and we began to call the inexistent as existent, and God imputed this to us as righteousness. And therefore, when the time comes, established by God, for the fulfillment of this promise in order to clothe these people who have already cleansed their bodies, their bodies are clean. If before the blood of calves and lambs, they tried to cleanse the body of a person, but it could not. 
Then the blood of Christ, it cleanses the body. This is referring to the body of a person, the earthly body. It is this earthly body for these people the Lord will come in order to rapture them. From this it follows that those who wait for Him in salvation are saints who accepted the promise regarding the door of their hope, comprised of erecting in our earthly bodies the power of eternal life in the clothing of our bodies in the new man. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I shall make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Isaiah 66, verse 22. And your seed, so your word, and your name, because you proclaimed and you called the inexistent as existent, you considered yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. You will always remain before me, just as the new heavens and the new earth, this way the scripture says, because the new heaven and the new earth are going to be created from this, from this land, from this earth, from the dust of which we were created. It is eternal, it's impossible to destroy it, and when it says the earth and all of its works will be destroyed, then the dust that is created by God, it is eternal. From this dust, God is going to create a new universe, a new heaven, and a new earth. But in order to create a new heaven and a new earth, it is necessary to do what? It is necessary to take from the earth and to to take away hell and death. They are there in the center of the earth. In order for our bodies to be clothed into the new man, it's necessary to take out the death and hell that are in our bodies that are found in the face of the old man in our bodies, who is the carrier of the program of the fallen cherubim, passed along to us through the sinful seed of our forefathers. And in the beginning, God does this, and then the earth has a guarantee that from it, death and hell will be taken from it. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. But before the Lord will take heaven, or take hell and death from there and throw it into the lake of fire, He will take it out of us, of our, out of our bodies. But we have already done this. Just as Abraham already had his sons and his daughters looking at the sand and at the stars, and he called his wife as one who had borne many, uh, many, many children, and she called him the father of many nations. Without having one son, having been, been old and barren, she was uh, she was un- unfruitful and in this kind of state this impossible state she conceived and the lord sh- told us look look at abraham and sarah i have called them there was no one i've called them and look at what i did why look at them because we are going to come to such a state that it will be impossible to do anything with us as humans right but god will perfect this in us And so, despite the fact that God promised to answer our prayers when they will coincide to His will, at the same time, God did not promise in His Word to tell us the specific time in which we are called to go the way of all the earth, or 
to be separated from our body to go into eternity. And so for many people, those who poorly know their God compared to those who know Him well, first, death always catches them by surprise and comes to them contrary to their wishes. And secondly, it overtakes them suddenly and unexpectedly, just as written, yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die in the middle of the night. The people are shaken and pass away. The mighty are taken away without a hand, for his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps." Job chapter 34 verses 19 through 21. Despite the fact that people who know their God well are constantly vigilant in prayer, waiting for their meeting with Christ, they are unaware of the exact time of their transfer from this temporary life into eternal life. But they are ready, they are prepared. They, for them, it's uh, death does not come suddenly, take them just like when the bride waits for her groom that he is going to come soon, she doesn't know the exact time when he is going to come, but she waits for him. He will not come all of a sudden. He is He's not going to find her unprepared, just like those who know their God, who know their God. They will be prepared when death finds them. They wait for it, and they understand what will happen. They desire for this to happen. And they are found in this uh, in a off in a, in a, in a tormentful state, an illness, and they understand that they need to endure all of this. I had come to brother uh, brother Theodore, having visited him, and I asked him how he's feeling, if he has some kind of resentment toward God that God is not healing him. He answered, "What? Do we serve God?" only when he heals you even if he doesn't heal that's it that's okay so what still for me he's going to remain the same God just as I loved him before I will continue to love him if you can agree these kinds of Christians are very rare to find and therefore be vigilant for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening at midnight at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping and what I say to you I say to all watch Mark 13 verses 35-37 through despite the fact that this place of scripture speaks of the time in which Christ will return to take his bride from this earth it also speaks of the time of death one of the magnificent, magnificent things about God and His Word is indeed comprised of the fact that all people are called to die at some point until the time given under the authority of God will come to do the following. In the dimension of time to throw out decay from our bodies in the face of the old man who is a carrier of the program of the fallen cherubim so that in its place could be erected the power of life. Because he's a carrier of the program of the cherubim, he's a carrier of this old man, hell and death. And again, he must be thrown out so that in its place could be erected the power of life that contains the program of incorruption. And so those saints who died in faith containing the promise of an incorruptible body, in the depths of whom will be erected the power of eternal life, they did not receive the promise upon their lives. 
so that in the dimension of time, they could not reach perfection without us in the subject of the adoption of their body through the redemption of Christ. They will rise in their incorruptible bodies, and then we, who remain living with them, will be transformed in the blink of an eye. And this is not the moment of rapture, but this is before rapture. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, because God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. This is referring to the perfection in which would be proclaimed that death is overcome with life. Death, where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? This is called to occur in our earthly bodies, here on earth in the dimension of time. And so something better which God provided for us in relation to saints who died in faith is comprised of the fact that they saw death in their body, whereas saints who reached the time of the adoption of their bodies to the redemption of Christ will not see this death. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, which will be revealed in us. When saints die, this glory remains in them, and it is going to be revealed when the time comes. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. This is referring to the angels of God. The whole creation, angels, eagerly wait for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So the angels themselves, the angels of God that serve us, always serve, also serve uh, uh, decay. They with hope wait that they are going to be released from the slavery to serve decay. God made them as servants, servants of decay, but they are incorruptible right but our bodies are and they wait in hope that the creation itself also will be delivered for the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty what what liberty when our bodies are adopted by the redemption of Christ and before this in order for them to have been adopted we need to take out of our bodies with the noise cast out the old man with his works for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, first fruits, again, we're talking about first fruits, having the reigning, the reigning of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We wait with perseverance or with patience that we are going to receive what we have accepted by faith. And despite the fact that maybe we don't feel with our emotions that we have this great glory in us, we have the promise regarding the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. And we can't feel it. We can't feel it because it is not in the sphere of our feelings, but in the sphere of our faith, in the sphere of information. Because faith is information, information that we hear. Faith comes from hearing the Word of God. And we know, we don't feel, but we know. 
We know that this information lives in us, and this information is the Word of God that dwells forever. This is the eternal life that lives in us. Third, our prayer is about healing. Give God the basis to prepare the person for whom we are praying for his relocation out of death to eternal life, giving him the opportunity to realize his state so that he could fix his lamp. When we pray about people who are found in illnesses, but they have not yet been free from sin, and they are found in illness, illness right before death, then our prayers give God the opportunity and the basis to give a person repentance right at the time of death. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So, under the condition, if you, unless you repent, the first love is comprised of the fact that the Word of God on the pedestal of priorities was primary. When a person leaves his first love, this is when service to God then steps to being first in the first place, not communication with God, but service to God. When the exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when the anointing, when blessings, when evangelism, good works, listen, God has millions of servants for this these gold. Millions. He did not create the angels for communication with Him. He created them for them to be servants. But man He created for communication. Angels He created, but us He gave birth to. There is a difference between those that are created, that which you make with your hands, and those that are born out of your womb, who, like you, like in their components, are just like you. Imagine that we are like God because I'm talking about we are our new man, our new man. He, according to his nature, is equal to the nature of God, and he is growing. He is growing where? In the womb of our body. Just like in the womb of a mother, a child a child grows and matures. And when he is born, he is born with a cry, with pain. He endures a, a time of death when he is being born, but at the, at the same time, he comes to life. Same way a person, the new man, he is found locked up in this body. He himself being eternal, just like God. And when he exits out of this body, he is born. That's why this is a celebration. That's why the day of death is better than the day of one's birth, because he is born into a new dimension. He leaves. He is freed from this body. Fourth, by looking in our prayers at who God is for us, for us in Jesus Christ, and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, and proclaiming the inexistent promise as existent, we give God the basis to fulfill our prayer at the time that is located in God's authority, and not at the time that we please.
Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. According to Scripture, we become witnesses to Christ when we live for the Lord and die for the Lord. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Romans chapter 14, verses 7-8 through 8. This is what must comfort us and edify us. And therefore, our affliction and sorrow our sorrow and mourning when our uh, our close dear ones leave us must not be like those uh, from this world we must not be sorrowful like those in this world for us this is a celebration with tears in our eyes but for our 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 neighbors who have died this is a completely different celebration there there they are not crying they look they end up in a kind of state, in a kind of blissfulness, full, full liberty, young, filled with power and strength, having the same power that God has. Therefore, without considering what people who do not know God say about death and how they define it, we will focus our attention on what God says about death and what virtues He gives death in Scripture, specifically in relation to His people. Despite the fact that we hear this periodically, I will gladly remind us that in relation to God's chosen remnant, death is first separation from sin. We have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How shall we who died in, died to sin live any longer in it? Romans 6.2 Because death is separation from sin. We continue to live in our bodies, but we have died. We have already become the carriers of death. And therefore, when the angels of God, when they will come in order to guide guide the rapture of saints. They will not carry them, but they will guide them because we are going to be able to fly just like the angels will fly. We are going to be able to uh, to move at the, speed of, at the speed of light, at the speed of thought, a thought even. Can you imagine this? At, at the speed of a thought. Angels will guide us. And these are not going to be regular angels. The whole angelic army will come in order to guide us. How will they know who to guide? According to the carcass. Where the carcass will be, there the eagles will gather, according to the scent. For eagles, for about 10 kilometers away, they feel this, they, they sense this carcass. They live with this food, and therefore this carcass smell is the smell because we died to sin. 
And how can we live in it if we have died in it? And a question he poses in Romans, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Begin to live in different dimensions. Begin to consider yourself. Consider yourselves from the not from the position of your feelings. Do not c- look at yourselves from the position of your fall, from your lusts and desires. Look at yourselves or consider yourselves who God is for you, what He has done for you, and who you are to Him, and that you have already accepted this promise. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Therefore, in relation to God's chosen remnant, death is a state in relation to sin. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.11 You see, this is a state. To consider is, or reckon yourselves, is to have this kind of state. Third, in relation to God's chosen remnant, death is the process and manifestation of triumph over the power of death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So, to walk in the glory of the Father, even now to walk in the glory of the Father. I understand that people can't understand this glory, but you can walk in this glory. Just as Christ, when he was uh, resurrected from death, we must walk in the newness of life. What is a newness of life? If we have died in Christ, then we have resurrected with him. We have resurrected now in the newness of life. This is a different kind of life. We must accept this by faith and to have this kind of state. Fourth, in relation to God's chosen remnant, death is the key to opening in our body the life of Jesus. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. 2 Corinthians 4.10 The word revealed or manifested, meaning that there is a kind of key to opening in our body the door to the life of Christ. And what is this? This is the death of the Lord. When you accept in yourselves the understanding that you have died to sin in the body, in Christ along with Him, the death of Christ, you have not died somewhere separately. You, with the law, died to the law by the uh, body of Christ. And because you have died, you will live and you carry this power in yourselves. And this death reveals it is the key to the life of Christ in our body. We are referring to the adoption of our body because it is written so that the life of Christ can be revealed in our body. If the life of Christ is revealed in our body, then decay will momentarily exit. You see in what kind of formats Apostle Paul spoke. Not always, and not everyone who reads can understand this if the Holy Spirit does not open it. But he has opened this to us, the Holy Spirit. Fifth, in relation to God's chosen remnant, death is not defeat, but the victory or coronation with the crown of life. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. So, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Hold on to what you have accepted. Keep what you have accepted, as David had said. In my heart, I have hidden your word so that I do not sin. He also here talks about how he carries death. He hid the word that gives him the ability to be dead to sin. I have hidden your word in my heart in order to not sin. I have died to sin. This is what David says.
Sixth, in relation to God's chosen remnant, death is not the loss of life, but its acquisition. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is to gain Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Seventh, in relation to God's chosen remnant, death of his saints is precious in the sight of the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Psalms 116, verse 15. The word precious means valued, cherished. In the original Bible, this word means uh, regarding the death of saints that the uh, death of saints is precious in his sight means not just gold, but precious stone. Gold with a precious stone. This is how God views us when we die to sin. And for God, when a person separates with, from his body, a holy person, this is an event. You know how the whole heaven comes to, uh, to, to marvel. This is a, truly an event. You know, when before, previously, those who had won all of Rome, all of Rome, they had greeted the, those that were victorious, and they carried the, um, the enemies that they had that were fallen. Imagine, just like, just like that, heaven, they, they stand and they greet us. Take a look at how when Stephen was hit with stones, usually the Son of God sits at the, at, at the right side of the throne, but he says, I see, I see Jesus who is standing. But if Jesus has stood, the angels cannot stand as servants. All of heaven stands at this moment. They accept the person, a holy person, who was victorious over death in the body. They accept him as he who was victorious, and he carries his enemies behind him. You know, when we overcome death, we overcome the, a certain army of devil with a a rank, a rank of authority. I saw this, and I was greeted by this, and I, God showed me this. I saw when they lose their callings because you remained faithful and did not lose. And if you, if you lost, you repented, and when you repented, you accepted, you accepted justification. And this, and this, and this demon loses his calling when you repent. A holy person is a person who has separated himself for God and as a result is separated by God to be his belonging. If God highly values the death of saints, we must also care for this and value it. Because the death of our body is the acquisition of Christ and our union with God. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Eighth, in relation to God's chosen remnant, in the death of saints, the element of resurrection is kept in their decaying ashes. The element of glory, the element of eternal life. It has not gone anywhere. Just because we accepted the word of God, eternal life in our body, and it was there. And so when we were separated from our bodies, eternal life remained in our bodies. You will say, well, then why did it die? Because the time had not yet come that is found in the authority of God, so that that which is found in this body could, could resurrect, could rise, this body could rise. The power of life could be erected in this body, and despite the fact that a person has died, 
All those believers, when they die, just as the angels of God had served them in life, they serve them in the death. They protect the graves of these saints. Devil does not come near them. On the graves, all of all the gravestones are covered by uh, demons and angels, devil, but the gravestone of a holy person is protected by angels, and devil has no access there. And therefore, they wait, and when the time comes for the resurrection of these bodies, God resurrects them. How? He resurrects them uh, but through that which is in their body. He takes resurrection from this body that is there and he clothes this body. He erects the power of life. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, meaning we've received a revelation, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So we will not be able to be transformed before those who are who are asleep or who are dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Ninth, in relation to God's chosen remnant, the death of saints is viewed as part of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance on my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. On one hand, our lot that is found in the hands of the loving and almighty God, from whose hand nothing and no one can take us, is our incorruptible and imperishable inheritance in Christ Jesus. On the other hand, our lot is a definition and calling of our fate. And in this case, the definition of good, which is tied not with the loss of life, but its acquisition expressed in satisfaction. When the author says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, he is referring to those steps that he took in God and with God in during, during his life. And when we live or die for Christ, then we are found in Christ which leads Jesus to represent our interests before his Father in our life, as well as our death. When Christ lives in us, then it is not him but us who represents his interest in that midst and in those surroundings in which we dwell, in life or in death. So we, for them, represent. When Christ is in us, we represent the interests of Christ. Many people think that they represent the interests of Christ. However, this is true only when Christ lives in us and we do not portray our interests as His interests. It is possible to take up any high post or position in religious structures, influence people and events, give belongings to the poor, endure struggle and afflictions, and finally give up our body to be burned. But in all this, it's possible to lack the spirit of Christ and his holy and meek character and his marvelous ability to stoop down to people in his governing relationship 
toward things and events. It is impossible to live and die in Christ if Christ does not live in us. Therefore, those that live and die in the Lord are first and foremost people in whom Christ lived and who themselves lived in Christ. Because in order for Christ to live in a person, it is not enough to be born again. For this goal is necessary to be clothed in the death of the Lord as well as accept this death as our belonging, which will make our body dead to sin and alive to God. Tenth. In relation to God's chosen remnant, death is the transferring of capital out of the earthly dimension into the heavenly dimension. Capital. I'm talking about that which we have saved up here. And now we need to transfer this into heaven. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Capital are our works, our works that we have done in faith. These, This capital we must transfer. They follow us. God does not give us eternal life for what we have done. Eternal life we receive for what Christ has done, that He has redeemed us. And this is already capital that follows us, that in eternity will affect our position and our closeness to the Heavenly Father. And so I will remind you that there exist two kinds of death. These are those who are dead to sin, who die in the Lord. Their death is hidden in God. And there is a death outside of God. These are people who are dead to righteousness, and their death is contained in the fallen cherubim. Both of these kind of deaths are the result of uh, obedience as well as disobedience to the commandments of God. Those that die in God are those people whose names are written in the book of life because they were obedient to the commandments of God in the lips of the messengers of God. And those that die outside of God are people whose names do not exist in the book of life because their names were written in the earth. But they were blotted out. This is because they were not obedient to the commandments of God in the lips of His messengers, because of they themselves uh, would choose how to fulfill this commandment, and because of which their names were blotted out of the book of life. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed, Jeremiah 17, 13. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. So, when Christ sat and he wrote on the earth with his finger, what did he write? He wrote the names of these people who said, Moses, Moses said in his law, if he sins, he shall be stoned. We have brought you a woman who is adulterous. What will say Moses said this? He was quiet. Uh, he, Jesus uh, bowed. Uh, Jesus bent it down, and he began to write their names in the in the dust on the earth. And then he said, "He among you who was without sin, first cast the first stone." And I agree with Moses, like you had said. But he who is without sin can cast the stone. And at this time, they had no conscience. They had burned out. They did not have a good conscience. But God took 
their consciences and turn it on in this moment. He turned on their conscience because people are going to be tormented eternally from the fire of their conscience. Despite the fact that they will be in the lake of fire, they are going to be tormented by their conscience. They were going to be corrected from the oldest to the youngest. And Christ, out of all those people that had left, Christ remained with this woman and he asked, says to her, woman, no one has no one has blamed you, she says, no one. He says, I will also not. Go with peace and do not sin anymore. You see, for a person to not sin anymore, it's necessary to have mercy upon him because he was sinful, because he was a slave of sin. He needs to be forgiven. He needs to have uh, mercy. He needs to receive mercy. Therefore, death in God carries unique blessed and irreversible blessings in which a person is clothed in the eternal garments of peace and life in God. Whereas death outside of God is tied to the loss of all peace because it carries eternal garments and death outside of God is tied to the loss of all peace because it is not tied to the garments that are eternal. 11th, in relation to God's chosen remnant, death is the rise of a new and eternal day in which the days of mourning shall end. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall be the moon, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. You see, like for our brother Theodore, the sun and the moon that we see, it will never again rise or set because for them, the Lord, for him, the Lord has become his eternal light. He has passed along to a new dimension. 12. In relation to God's chosen remnant, death expresses itself in the ability to boast of the cross of the Lord Jesus. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 According to scripture it is specifically this kind of relationship toward the truth about the cross of Christ that is a true indicator of a life in Christ and so a person dies just as he had lived because death is the harvest of a person that a person sowed while living in the body scripture warns that many people who have come to God may lose their position in eternity and possibly eternity itself and not for violation and misunderstanding of doctrinal truths, but for violation and misunderstanding of the commandment of love designed to regulate relationships with each other, which transfer us from the state of eternal death to the state of eternal life. Our collect relationship toward our brother leads us from the state of eternal death into the state of eternal life. Yes, we are already born, we are the children of God, but still, but while being the children of God, we simultaneously dwell in, in death. And to go from death to life, we need to know how to love our brothers and how to how to distinguish our brothers from non-brothers because not all in the church are our brothers. There are people who are found in sin, who had legalized this sin, and they do not consider this a sin. These people cannot be our neighbors or our brothers. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. 
Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that you kn- that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John chapter 3, verses 14-15 through 15. You see, today churches are filled with people who hate one another, who are fighting with one another, who are envious of one another, and they hope, they hope to be raptured. Just this kind of foolishness you will not see in the world. This can only be uh, seen in the religious midst. He lives like Satan, but he hopes in the rapture. God has he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So without blame, be able to not spread gossip toward one another, forgive one another, to not spread slander, rumors, and so forth. And this has literally filled the church. This is like um, this is like a sickness that is eating away at saints. The holiness of a holy person is defined by the state of his blamelessness in love, in love toward neighbors. A person that has a blemish in love expressed an incorrect relationship with saints is dead to God because he is defined by scripture as an unrighteous person or a person who is murderer. In other words, a holy person is always dead to the world, whereas an unrighteous person is always dead to God. A righteous person is a person who is just, pure, kind, or not involved in evil. And here I mean transcendental purity, which in its definitions has no analogues in the existing world. Since the essence of such purity is inseparable from the purity of God and therefore is located in the spheres of unapproachable light. What it really means is the impossibility of comprehending it by rational capabilities without revelation from above. No matter how sad it may be, many saints die before reaching the fullness of the age of Christ, which consists in acquiring a wise heart. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away, in your wrath, we finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are seventy years, and if by reason of strength they are eighty years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as for as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm chapter Chapter 90, verses 7 through 12. These words are taken from the prayer of Moses, the servant of God. The reason why we lose our days like sound and the days of our years are 70 years and with with strength 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, consists in the fact that our iniquities are laid before God and are secret before the light of His face. Meaning, person continually knows that he is imperfect, unholy, and unrighteous because he continually measures or looks at his emotions, his words, his actions, and measures himself with himself. And when you tell him, brother, sister, you are righteous, he is scared. He says, no, but I want to be righteous. I strive toward this. You are holy. He says, no, I strive toward this. I do not um, reject this. I don't want to be a part of those who have a form of godliness but do not have its power. I am unrighteous, they say. 
And when a person does not accept what God has done for him and who he is for him, and what God has done for him and who he is for God, he doesn't trust. It was not preached to him that when he was born of God, he was born righteous and holy. He doesn't need to do something in order to become righteous or to do something to become holy. He was born this way. He is like this according to his origin. Now he needs to practice righteousness. And this righteousness begins from the fact that he begins to consider himself dead to sin and alive to God and to call the inexistent power of life in his body as existent. And God imputes this to him as righteousness. He is righteous and he has already begun to practice righteousness, but they haven't been taught this. And therefore, their sin is before God. And the anger of God is upon these people. He says, teach us to number our days that we can gain a heart of the wise. Because if I have a wise heart, then my sins will not be before your countenance and your anger will not be upon me. Proceeding from the sovereign relationship of God with man, God cannot interfere in the personal affairs of a person to help a person if a person does not ask him about it on strict conditions established by God. It follows that the reason why God put our iniquities before the light of his countenance is not in God, but in the state of our heart. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Having violated the commandment that regulates sovereign relations with God, it is no longer God, but man himself, who limited the years of his life at 70 years, at most 80 years. Thus, our attitude toward God and to His Word in the mouths of His messengers, which we discredit with the confession of our lips, placing our opinion above the Word entrusted by the Holy Spirit to God's messengers, this limits the years of our life. And our sins are before God because we do not acknowledge the messenger of God and his authority, the authority of his word. People say, well, I don't agree with this. I don't understand it this way. Immediately, the sins of this person then go up to before the countenance of God. For example, when I pray about a person and he repents, I say to him, your sins are forgiven and your transgressions are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ because you have uncovered your sin and you have uncovered your transgression. But when this person left church or found is found but does not accept the authority of the word that I speak when he begins to in his mind argue saying that I don't agree with this everything all that was spoken in relation to him is nullified retribution for sin returns upon him nothing is for is forgiven him any longer because he did not accept I I I uh, proclaimed it, he must accept it. He by to accept it, he needs to accept the authority, and he doesn't want to accept this authority. He says, "I don't agree with this. I have another. I have another piece of information that contradicts this." He says, "A good person out of the good treasury of his heart, or the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man or the evil treasure brings forth evil things." But I say to you that. For every idle word, an idle word is the word that we speak but is not in our heart. When we say, praise God, I am saved, but this is in our heart. There is no affirmation of this. Prove to me that you are saved. Prove to me by places of scripture that you are saved. How do you know that you are saved? 
I just know that I'm saved. I'm saved. I've accepted Christ. How have you accepted Christ? If you have accepted Christ, why do you live not like people who have accepted Christ live? But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. At the same time, we should distinguish the fact that for people whose iniquities God laid before the light of His face, their labor and their illness will be for them the retribution for sin. While for people who have received justification by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and thereby gave God a reason to blot out their sins from His memory, their work and their illnesses are for them a kind of privilege which in the future is called to become their reward. For to you has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. When we are sick, when we are ill, we are also suffering for Christ. Because having been Having, accept, uh, having been undefiled and having accepted justification, every illness that comes upon us, every, every trial is suffering for Christ. Because we do not accept. For some, labor and illness is retribution, and for others, this is a future reward. He says, because you in your illness remained faithful to me, if you remained faithful, you will receive a reward. Remember Job. Job had a very difficult illness and affliction upon him. And he is, he is, people told him, what, are you righteous? Are you righteous? Oh, righteous don't suffer this way. They don't, they're not sick. Are you righteous? And he says, the Lord has given and the Lord takes away. Let the name of the Lord be blessed. I believe that my Redeemer lives. And he, in that last day, will restore my decaying body and with my eyes I will see this I will see this he had believed in redemption he was spoken to and this has had endured many years his children had perished his wife left him all of his friends had left him those people who were the most uh, the most um, the most poor were afraid of him. They came up to him and spat on him because he was in such a terrible state. But God at this time was satisfied by his faithfulness. Devil tried to break him, say, for his life a person will give up everything. Let me, let me overtake him with illness, but do not touch his soul, meaning his life. Do not touch his life, God said. And we see that when God had healed Job, God had multiplied him twice fold and he sent those people who had blamed him and who had said you are unrighteous and what is this God said my anger is burning upon you upon these friends I will not accept your sacrifices I will only accept the face of Job go to him let him pray for you and then I will forgive you and it is written when Job had prayed over them then God had healed him you see what forgiveness is because these were neighbors, these were friends. They didn't understand God deeply as God had understood him. They didn't see in this illness triumph. He says, take a look, righteous.
But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You have dwelled in my trials. You will say, well, how? He's not, he's not sick. Do you know that Christ is the head of his body? And when we are ill, it can't be that the head is also not sick. The most, first and foremost, the head accepts this pain because it, uh, it searches for how to heal it. I want you to know that when we are ill, Christ at this time is also ill. He is the head of the body. And he says, you have dwelled, abided me in these trials and these illnesses because the head answers for everything. Not the body tells him, you are wi with me, but the head tells the body, you are suffering with me and because you suffer with me, you dwell in my trials, you remain faithful to me. I will sit you on, the, on my throne. Now imagine for yourselves, Christ as an intercessor and a high priest. He cannot not suffer when you are sick, when I am sick. Apostle Paul writes, For now, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The marks of the Lord Jesus. His body was covered with, with wounds that were unhealable. Many illnesses from um, his adventure. He was hit many times. He was hit so many times. He was found in the water and God took him from there. He was hit by stones. Apostle Paul, uh, and he was cast out. Disciples came and he got up and went with him. Well, how come, we want to know how come so few of this is written, um, so few, and why did God continue to resurrect him? Because he had not yet fulfilled his calling, and therefore, until we fulfill our calling, even if we die, we will, we will live. I want to draw our special attention to the confession of the faith of God, which dwells in the Eden of our heart, through which God receives the foundation to blot out our iniquities before the light of His face, by the blood of the Son of God, shed for our iniquities on the Golgotha cross, under the condition that our faith obeys the faith of God in the lips of His messengers. I will remind you that in Scripture the faith of God is called the Word of God in the mouth of the messengers of God. As written, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, a preacher, preacher will tell you this word. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You must be an apostle in order to forgive sins and to retain sins. It's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report, so that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith 
from hearing, from information. The faith of God is information in the lips of the messengers of God. Our faith is uh, is a soldier that obeys the faith of God, the information. And so proceeding from the existing statement, if the word of God is called the faith of God in the mouths of the messengers of God, then our faith is called obedience to the faith of God in the mouths of the messengers of God. If a person does not obey the faith of God in the mouth of a person endowed with the powers of the fatherhood of God in favor of his own opinion, he chases after ashes because his heart, deceived by his own opinion, led him astray. He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified him in Israel. To take out from the good treasury of our heart a good treasure that serves as our justification in Christ Jesus is to confess with our lips justification in the blood of the cross of Christ, which dwells in our heart, cleansed from dead works. Do not cease to confess to God, I thank you that you have justified me. I thank you that you have erected in my body the power of life. I thank you that you have clothed my body in your resurrection. Do uh, speak about this and talk about this. And to take out from the evil treasury of our heart an evil treasure that serves as our condemnation to eternal perdition is to confess with our lips justification in the blood of the cross of Christ, which is absent in our heart because we do not care to cleanse it of idols represented in dead deeds. A question arises, how and from whom can we learn to number our days so that we can gain a wise heart? And in this way, giving God a basis to blot out our iniquities, laid by Him in front of the light of His face, is the way of obeying our faith to the faith of God in the mouth of a person vested with the authority of the fatherhood of God. What's interesting is that the no- verb number in relation to the days of the years of our life, on the fulfillment of which the acquisition of a wise heart will depend, contains five conditions. To number means, in Hebrew, to keep your heart from idols, to consider yourself justified in God, to classify oneself as one of the righteous, to weigh your thoughts and your words on the scales of truth as how much they correspond to the reigning teaching of Christ, which we have accepted, and test your thoughts and your words for participation in the faith of God, not uh, the participation in the faith of God which we receive from hearing the word of God. And based on this context, it follows that if we are not taught what can be an idol in our heart and in what ways should we keep our hearts from idols and what tools should be used to test our heart for the existence of justification in it, on what grounds should we classify ourselves as righteous? 
and how we should determine the scales of truth and weights with which it is necessary to weigh our thoughts and our words so as to acquire a wise heart, and what criteria should be used to test our thoughts and our words for particip- participation in the faith of God, or what methods should be used to determine that our faith will work or obey the faith of God in the mouth of God's messengers, we will have no opportunity and no hope to acquire a wise heart, to arrange ourselves into a spiritual house and into the holy priesthood. So that by constructing oneself on the altar of the Lord to present oneself to God in the dignity of a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice to God, in order to give Him a foundation to blot out our iniquities laid by Him in the light of His countenance, and before presenting short and clear answers to the existing question, the fulfillment of which will allow us to acquire a wise heart in order to give God a the foundation to blot out our iniquities which he put before the light of his countenance, we will have to remember what criteria should be should be used to define to test oneself for the presence of a wise heart in oneself. Uh, otherwise, the available answers will not be able to pursue the goal of having a wise heart. Proceeding from the statements of Scripture, a wise heart is called a heart cleansed of dead works on the tablets of which is on a seal through instruction and faith which in the truth of the commanding teaching of Christ is sealed within the boundaries of which the Holy Spirit dwells as the Lord and ruler of our hearts. I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. God will never invest his personalized wisdom in the face of the Holy Spirit revealing the truth in his heart if this truth is not sealed in the heart of a person. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. However, in order to accept the truth in our hearts and the dignity of the commanding teaching of Christ, we need to be instructed on the path of this truth by establishing our hearts in the fear of the Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord, I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And so, what is an idol in our heart, and in what ways should you keep your heart from idols so as to number your days in a way that will allow you to acquire a wise heart? We should know that the fulfillment of all five conditions we can comprehend only through the obedience of our faith to the faith of God in the mouth of God's messengers, as it is written, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. People... Uh, usually don't like this word they say we don't want to understand it this way but here it says directly all the promises of God we can receive only through apostles to the glory of God you can receive them through us all of them truly are yes and an amen but you can receive them only through apostles we should remember that the idols in our hearts can be all those things that are on the scale of priorities above the search for the face of God, the search for the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, and the unswerving obedience of our faith to the faith of God, in the mouth of a person vested with the powers of the fatherhood of God. And in order to not be unfounded, I will remind you of some things that can be in idols in our hearts, given that this is not a complete list of idols in the heart of a person. It's not the full list, but here we go. This is our idols, our our right to an independent opinion. This is an this is our idol number one. Our people represented by our nationality. 
when we only speak about it. I've met people who only sing of this, some about Ukraine, some about Russia, some about Japan, some about Africa. Africa will be saved, they sing. Africa will not be saved, and Ukraine will not be saved, and Russia will not be saved, and America will not be saved. God does not save countries. He saves people in these countries. The whole world is condemned. This is the house of our father, our father's house. This can become an idol for us when he is going to resist the truth and we, along with the house of our father, will resist the truth. This is our marital partner that is going to challenge and say, well, I don't agree with this or I don't agree with this. Not long ago, one young person, his wife says, if you go to this church, I'm going to divorce you. He says, well, I grew up in this church. This is my house. I will divorce you. And if we are afraid of this divorce and for this divorce we, we remain in marriage, this means that our marital partner is our idol. Our children, when we for our children are ready to, to give up the truth, desires of the flesh that are not sinful in our opinion, there are desires of the flesh that are not sinful, but they become an idol when we begin to uh, to feast uh, to to feast every day because we have that ability. Gifts of the Holy Spirit that we prefer over the giver, the Lord's anointing which we prefer over the anointing one. Our denomination or our confession becomes our idol. I'm a Baptist, I'm a Pentecost, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Methodist, and so forth. Our virtue that comes from the flesh becomes our idol. Evangelism that replaces the commandment to be light and salt becomes our idol. Material prosperity elevated to the status of spirituality becomes our idol. Belief in all kinds of signs becomes our idol. Belief in prophecies that distort the truth of Scripture and do not coincide with the requirements of Scripture or the spirit of Scripture. Worship of cultural and national values becomes an idol. Worship of icons, objects, and relics, our own fame, and voluptuousness that replaces love between spouses. The presence in the heart of even one of the available list of idols is evidence that our heart has not yet been cleansed of dead deeds, and therefore the soil of our heart will not be suitable for receiving the seed of the kingdom of heaven. I want to conclude this word. I could continue and continue. I have enough of the word of God which I am filled with, filled by and I could speak every day and two times a day and three times a day and I won't have I won't be able to run out of things to tell I'm so full with the revelations of the Lord but yet we won't be able to uh, there is a time when we accept information and then that's it our brain grows tired and we are unable to accept certain information we are going to bow bend our knees and bow our heads and we will pray for our friends neighbors 
relatives of Brother Theodore so that God could comfort them in their affliction, that we are with them, our heart is with them, so that they could not just know this, but also feel this, so that God could touch their emotional sphere, could heal it, because right now their emotions are suffering, they are wounded. We will pray and let the Lord bless us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to you that you are our God and we are your children. We have dedicated this service and memorial of our brother Theodore Wozniuk to comfort the hearts of his relatives, his spouse, his daughters, his son, his grandchildren. We ask you, touched by the Holy Spirit, and pour out your oil from Gilead to heal this wound, despite the fact that they understand with their heart and with their mind that this is a celebration and that he has gone on to a better world and that this for him is better, yet they are sorrowful, just as, just as we are sorrowful, and we along with them are mourning, and we are mourning with tears in our eyes, and we do not give a reason uh, to mourn as other people so that your name could be ashamed. We thank you for your glory, for the word of life that we hear that dwells in our hearts. May your mercy be glorified in us and through us. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.